Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Dr. Carol Francis Talk Radio Show. Let's make life happen together with authors, scientists, researchers, both inside the box and outside the box of understanding so that you can live a life full of your success, curiosity, enjoyment, happiness, and richness of life in every respect. Let's go beyond our limits and let's help others go beyond their limits as well. Welcome. Well, we're going to go beyond our normal limits of our body in terms of when it finally gains weight. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. You have to go beyond your normal limits in order to be able to change your attitude toward food, exercise, sleep, and also your body's beauty. So, yeah, our handsomeness, because this is for men as well. So let's go forward. Get out your pads and papers, and if you are your pencils and pens or your computers, and if you are in the possible possible position of being able to listen to this as a, as a podcast, then feel free to stop it because you can take notes and do the exercises in between, and then you can go back to listening to the next section of it. We're going to keep this nice and short, good thirty minutes, so it's very different than a long time discussion. So here we go. The first thing that you need to do is that you need to disengage yourself from the definition of what beauty is related to the beauty industry. Uh, it, it related to the expectations of, of the opposite sex or those that you are, in, are attracted to if they want you to be a very, very skinny, many individual. Instead, we're aiming toward not toward the beauty industry, but toward the health industry. Now, that's a very different perspective. A uh, very different perspective because the health industry allows you, hopefully, at least the health industry that I'm involved with, to pay attention to who you are and to live in the body that you actually have. So, in other words, you're not going to be dealing with, am I as skinny as dot, dot, dot? Am I, am, uh, could I be a model, runway model? Could I be a television star? Instead, it's more like, okay, I have this body that I am in <laughs> a current existence. And in my current existence, in this body, I need to take stock with how I am built to look and what it will be when I'm optimally the way I am built to be. So optimal you is going to be gorgeous, handsome, beautiful. But in your own mind, you have got to adopt your own sense of knowing that it can be beautiful when it is healthy as opposed to when it fits some sort of cosmetic industries point of view. You have to remember that they have their most optimal belief in what beauty is all about on the screen or in print because when people look at them, they begin to think of themselves wanting to be like them and that wanting to be produces want and that want produces a desire for that particular item that they're selling. It's the idea of the wanting that they're trying to stir inside of you. But remember, when they're stirring want, they're also stirring a sense of lack. Oh, I just don't write. I'm not beautiful enough. I have to have that. I have to add that to it. Gee, I probably should do that too. So they're going to stir that sense of lack inside of you. We don't want you to come to being the healthiest, the most beautiful you that you can be from a sense of what you're lacking, but instead from what you can produce in yourself. And so that is the first mindset that you need to actually alter psychologically speaking. So now what is the most optimal you? Well, we want your BMI to be healthy. So 
BMI is your body, uh, your body mass index, and we would like it to be not necessarily the athletic 19% fat or 11% fat or, or, or even 25% fat, unless that is your optimal self. We, most of the time, the BMI in a healthy index is not that low. It's somewhere between 22 to 27, which means you are in a healthy range of being in your body in the ratio of fat to muscle. So remember, you have fat, muscle, water, and bone. And that water, in part, is related to muscle. And the the strength of your bones, you want them to be very strong. You want them to be heavy from the standpoint that you don't want them to be lacking in density. You want them to be flexible. But you want them to be as dense as your body can possibly make them. And as we get older women, our bones are become less dense, and we have to be very, very careful of that. Um, if we go on a lot of dieting and we do a lot of sort of inauthentic, uh, low-calorie foods, we're going to compromise the well-being of our bones. And we also may even compromise the well-being of the water that we need in our body for optimal cognitive work. So, yes, I know. I, I, I'm giving you a lot of instructions so far, but I really want you to listen so much more to the idea of what is the wisdom of your body and you can't be wise to your body if you are instead wise to the cosmetic industry. Okay, the second thing I want women to recognize right now, and I'll get to men in just a moment, is that there are certain times of the, of the lifetime of a woman where your weight's, your weight's going to go up because you're fat, you need your body to be fat. That sounds really strange because you're not consciously saying, gee, now I need to be fat in order to be more optimally healthy. You're not consciously saying that, but your body, which has a mind of its own, is also, is actually saying that. So, for example, your body is actually saying during different times of the month, oh, we are going to store water and we're going to store more uh, estrogen in, in, and therefore you're going to be a little heavier before your period. It is a, a part of health that you gain weight. It's water weight. It's an engorgement of the blood that's taking care of the possibility that that egg is going to be fertilized. It's a movement of your body in terms of fat related to estrogen. So you're going to put on weight. It typically is not fat, however. It's weight. The scale goes up. Your clothes fit tighter. Your belly protrudes more. But it is not necessarily unhealthy fat. But we get used to, as women, having to go through this awkward time of not feeling our most optimal self. And that's when we develop an attitude, not of health, but of, oh, gee, look at me, now I'm fat, I'm embarrassed. And the shame and embarrassment cycle that moves into women's life around having a menstrual cycle is something that's very much related to this Western society as opposed to just the recognition of how beautiful your body is, that it automatically knows when you need to expand, when you need more space, when your body can flexibly be larger in order to accommodate all the different things that are going on inside your your body with the hormones and the tissues and its responsiveness to fertility. But you need to have that attitude. It's interesting to know that the research around women when they're having their cycles is that the ones that see it as a celebration of being a woman and being fertile and going through the process of cleansing their bodies out are the ones that have less menstrual complications and less menstrual cramps. Isn't that an interesting idea? Now, it isn't across the board. That isn't everybody. That tends to be true. 
the better attitude you have towards your menstrual cycle, the better you're actually going to be able to, to get through the menstrual process without a lot of pain. Um, go to the next phase. The next phase is birth, getting, having your body be available to making a baby. So while you're pregnant and even afterward, your body is very busy trying to negotiate the process of estrogen, progesterone, the need for the other types of hormones that your baby needs, the type of fat your baby needs in order to grow, the the ability of your body to hold the right homeostasis for your baby's body more than for you. Also that your appetite can be huge. And for some women, a huge appetite during pregnancy does not produce the weight gain accordingly, but for other women it does. The idea of having to put on fat also while you're nursing, there's that myth that when you nurse, your weight goes down. But for some women, actually, they are so hungry and needing to develop the right amount of fat ratio for the milk they're producing for their babies that they actually don't lose weight. They gain it because they're needing to have fat for the milk. Now, this is a time period where you just have to kind of say, what is my body's healthiest state in order to be able to support the life that I'm supporting? And to, to know how amazing that is as opposed to feeling like you're ugly because you have excess weight on. Now, the husbands and boyfriends, the fathers to the child can often help out here. You're beautiful this way. And often men actually really genuinely mean it. They're not vexed by 10, 20 pounds, and they see the purpose. And in fact, they themselves, and I'll get to this in a moment, put on weight during this time. But the woman, again, has to develop her own sense of self-esteem that relates to that she has a different body now than she did. Now, because we have a very health-nutritious, conscious society, we can also recognize that women can take that weight off. But that will move into the next phase of what we're going to talk about in a moment. Okay, and the final phase I want you to be very aware of is menopause and premenopause. Again, your body is desperately needing to negotiate the estrogen, progesterone, and now testosterone balance in your body as your body stops needing to take care of the fertility issues. So it no longer needs to bathe the egg. It no longer needs to prepare your body to be pregnant. It no longer needs to protect your body so that the egg can be fertilized. And so as a consequence, it is going to not deal with the fat ratio to estrogen in the same way. However, it still recognizes that it's getting a lower quantity of the estrogen progesterone balance. And it sends an alarm to your system. It says, oh, we need to store estrogen. And estrogen, guess what, ladies, is stored in fat. So in order to protect you from other things, including bone loss, including losing your femininity, it actually starts to put on the fat that creates these, these menopausal, postmenopausal, premenopausal weight gains around your midriff and your hips because it's a great place, a great way for your body to save up on the estrogen. It's there to help you. Not that you particularly like it, but it's here to help you. So now how do we have a relationship in light of these three main times of gaining weight with the types of foods? and our body that's going to optimize our health and our sense of healthy beauty. Uh, Well, in just a moment, let's talk about men for a moment. Men, you are more likely to gain weight around your mid-30s if you haven't already gained weight when your wife was pregnant. 
And the mid-30s is a time when you make a very beginning of a shift for you where your testosterone is no longer really fueling your muscles as much as it was before. So now your ratio, your BMI, your ratio of muscles to fat to the rest of the, the, the body composition is different, and it will slow down. So between 35 to 45, you've entered into kind of a male menopause in a sense. It's a premenopausal sort of thing. You also go through tremendous testosterone changes from your, in your mid-50s um, and or around your mid-50s. Everything's approximate 10 years, five years one way, five years another way. So that your weight gain issues are going to be around the shifting of testosterone away from your muscles. It's going to be a shifting away from testosterone being produced as much as it was. And in fact, be really aware, men, that the midlife crisis is often a way of trying to have a resurgence of testosterone in terms of attraction to younger women. And it does work. I'm going to, I hate to say that because it breaks the hearts of the women that you've been living with for a long time and raising kids with. You are hormonally trying to regurgitate that sense of testosterone and having a, an attraction to a younger woman, a sexual attraction with a resurgence of sexual life is actually a way of trying to get the testosterone back into being at a peak level and it does work. And that's why when I work with couples, I actually try to get the women that are married to men going through that phase to be engaging in all sorts of different sexual, wonderful delights and sensual attractiveness and things of that sort because it re-engages that aspect of a man. Also be aware that when you're losing your testosterone, you're going to be a lot more sensitive to two things. One, your motivation for progressing in life will go down, which can be great because you can feel wonderful about approaching retirement and relaxing and being at peace. And it can also be great because it makes a lot of men who were once very aggressive and angry to being a lot more genteel and nurturing. It can also be great from the standpoint that you can ease into the next phase of your life instead of having to fight your way through it. Um, it's gentler on your muscles, so to speak. But on the other end of it, too much testosterone loss can affect not only your sexual life and your sexual functioning, but it can also make you feel depressed. And depression is something you just have to watch out for when it is associated to both weight gain but also to your sense of well-being and happiness. So testosterone is key for you to pay attention to the vitamins and nutrients and herbs to take care of, the doctor's appointments to go to, in order to be able to say how you're going to negotiate your way to the changing of testosterone. And that, again, will affect also your weight gain. So men and women, we are going through all sorts of changes throughout the given day, throughout the given month throughout the given years, and we need to have an attitude of beauty and handsomeness that's very much associated to our spirit and attitude and not as associated to the everyday changes that we're going through. However, the whole embracing of health will get you through this process a whole lot easier than whether you're beautiful or handsome, whether you're sexually attractive or not. So the idea of optimal health, optimal muscle, optimal fat in each of these situations is you negotiating your best self for each of these processes. So now I come down to your relationship with food. I've written a book, and it's been out for a long while. It's called, If You're Hungry, If You're Hungry, oh goodness. <laughs> let me do that one again. If you can't stop eating, maybe you're hungry. Reset your cravings. And the idea is that you have a relationship with food where you think the food is there 
to make you feel full and satisfied, then you will have an inclination of eating probably more than you actually need in order to be healthy. Because a lot of times our diet is filled with not foods that make us feel full and satisfied, but actually activate our cravings. Let me say that again. The foods that are on the market these days are more about activating cravings than they are about satisfying appetites. The sugars, the white processed flours, some of the milk products, the combination of milk with sugars added, juices with sugars added, so forth and so on, they actually activate hunger. In fact, often mothers know that in order to get their child ready to eat a meal, they have to give them something that makes them hungry, maybe some juice that stirs up their appetite for more food. In fact, for individuals that are too thin and don't have a great uh, ratio of body to muscle to bone because they're too thin, we actually talk about how can you turn on your appetite. And turning on your appetite is associated to white processed flours, snack foods, salt, salt and crunchy, sugary. It's, it, those things are perfect for making you hungry. Okay, so this is the next uh, first exercise, actually. The first one was actually to take a good stop at moving away from beauty consciousness into health consciousness. And the second was to recognize where you are in the phase of your body's need to deal with the fat-muscle ratio in a different way than maybe what you would like. And the third thing is the following. So look at the foods that cause you to actually crave to eat. So, okay, make a list out. So what you're going to do, you're going to have a sheet of paper. It's going to have four columns. The very first column is going to be the foods that trigger you to want to eat more. And this will also include beverages for some people. Wine makes them want to have more wine, for example. Coffee may make them more hungry. Usually it helps you with your appetite. For some people, it doesn't. Smoking cigarettes may actually help stop a person's appetite. Stopping smoking may actually increase their appetite. You want to put that down. Anything that increases your hunger. So is it ice cream? Is it chips? Is it uh, some sort of juice? Is it some sort of liquor? And you want to write all of them down. Just write them all down. They're not your enemy. But you want to be able to use them consciously as opposed to just trying to feel like you can eat more and more and more and more in hopes of satisfying your hunger. Okay, go ahead and make that out. Pause the podcast. We can go on to the next part. The next part is that you're going to write next to it whether or not you enjoy that food for its texture, for its temperature, like, for example, some people love a big, good chew or a nice, wonderful crunch. Other people like cold versus hot. Um, other people like kind of mashy, mushy. So you're trying to put it down for the texture, what you like about the texture. Secondly, you want it to write down which ones of those foods you go to because they're easy. You're hungry and you go to the easy. No preparation involved. You don't have to go to some special place to get there. So because it's easy. You're hungry, it's easy, but unfortunately, it's the easy thing you reach for that never really makes you feel full and satisfied. Okay, the next thing you want to look at is whether or not that has childhood memories or emotional satisfaction moments. So childhood memories like I was rewarded this way or when we had great family times together, this is what we, we had uh, whenever I was lonely, I'd go to this food and it would make me feel comfortable. 
when we were under a great deal of stress, I'd go to these comfort foods. So you want to know which ones have some sort of emotional anchor to them, to you, that's either related to great times in the past or in the current situation when they just make you feel less depressed or less lonely or less angry or less afraid. So the comfort foods, the emotional foods. And then finally, I want you to think about which ones of those foods are actually designed to make you hungry. So, for example, I'll pick on wheat thins. Wheat thins have everything in them that's designed to make you more hungry. They have salt, which makes you crave more salt. In fact, salt will also make you crave sugar. They have a lot of it. But they combine that with crunch, so it's great texture. And then they combine the texture and the saltiness with wheat. And wheat that's processed as opposed to whole kernel tends to turn people's appetites on tends to make it so that their, their, their space in their stomach is more gaseous and also more available to the type of bacteria that want to or trigger that you want to eat more food. And so you're going to be more hungry. You're going to want the next and the next and the next and the next. You know what I'm talking about. There's certain cookies that you eat that make you want to eat the whole box, certain ice creams, certain crackers, certain chips. They make you want to eat the whole thing, and then you have to – fight against eating the whole thing. These little bags that say, oh, just eat this bag, it's only 100 calories, are good for people who only buy one bag. But if they buy a box of those, it's very hard to not just open up another and another and another. And the manufacturer's making tons of money on people who do that because they know they're going to go right through that and it's a lot cheaper for them to package a small amount than to package a whole amount in one big bag. (coughs) All right. So that's what you want to do for food. You want to look at that food. Now, that thing is not your enemy, but you want to know that those things are going to be the button push. Those are the things that if you eat, you're going to want to eat more. They're the things that butt that are the craving. They push you, push them, you eat them, and they make you want to crave more. They're not the enemy, but you want to know that that's the tool that you have. Okay, next. The next thing you're going to do is write down those foods that when you have some of it, you don't feel hungry. Very quickly, you're full. You're satisfied. For some people, that's vegetable soup. For other people, that's greens, uh, green uh, vegetables like broccoli and spinach and asparagus, those sorts of things. Use a certain amount of them and oh, you just feel full and satisfied. You don't want to eat anymore. In fact, if you eat them and you were planning on eating a lot, you're kind of disappointed because you really don't have much more of an appetite. Uh, for some people, dairy will aggravate the cravings, but for other people, dairy actually makes them very full and satisfied. Same with coffee. Um, it can be kind of an uh, uh, appetite quencher or it can actually act, activate hunger for more things. Um, For some people, when they have the right amount of potassium-salt combination, they are therefore satisfied because they've got the equilibrium in their cells that are related to the sodium-potassium mixture. So that having salt actually helps, or having it with potassium actually helps. It doesn't add to the cravings because it's actually part of the reasonableness of your cravings. Um, Some people that have red meat will crave more. Some people, red meat is a wonderful way of not being hungry for it. You just have a certain amount, and it seems to just stop the hunger because you've gotten protein. And in fact, almost all animal proteins and some milk proteins are fabulous for stopping people from craving more. And if they're low-fat, just imagine low-fat fish combined with lettuce, with broccoli, that is a really typical diet food, correct? Or you have your meat patty with cottage cheese and tomato, Again, a real typical diet plate. And the reason is that all of that food on there 
tends to not aggravate cravings and tends to actually make you feel full. So now you want to write the list of foods you know make you feel full. And they make you feel full within a handful of it. So you're thinking about the size of your hand, looking at it, making a fist and going, if I eat that amount, that's the size of my stomach when it's not inflated. And that will fill my stomach up and it will go to work at digesting that and using it for nutrition for my body. So as a consequence, I don't need a lot because it's satisfying. My stomach is full and my body is going to be healthy as it digests it. And you want to have a list of what those foods are. Now, they're different for different people, but note that most of the diets that are uh, really successful people, I'm going to say the Lindora program, the Atkins diet, things of that sort are very high protein and very low carbohydrate because they know of this mix. Carbohydrates activate cravings, tend to suppress it. Carbohydrates tend to be high calorie, high fat, and they stay adherent to your fat cells. They, when there's too much on there, your body stores the carbohydrates. When your body goes and becomes active, it will use the carbohydrates without tapping into your fat supply, so it's hard to lose fat, and that's what happens with carbohydrates. We're talking about carbohydrates associated with sugars, white products, and to um, breads. Okay, so that, those are the carbohydrates. Anything made with bready, bready processed grains, anything along those lines. Now, you also have your starches. Interesting with starches is that for some people, they have starches and they are satisfied, and that's what their body needed. And so they have a potato, and that works for them, and that's what they need. That's all they needed. They have pasta, and they can have a small amount of it, and it's satisfying. But for the majority of people, starches are also loaded with a carbohydrate complex. And as a consequence, you can't always trust that they're going to lower your cravings. In fact, people have become vegetarians and using rice combined with beans or rice combined with beans and corn have a difficulty. They have a complete protein, a beautiful protein, in fact, probably even better than tofu and soy products for women at least. But the consequence of having that many carbohydrates means your body will burn off the extra energy that's given to you by the carbohydrates and then store the rest as fat. And now you have a higher fat muscle ratio uh, if you're going in that direction for some people. For other people, when they eat the beans, and certain types of beans are allotted for being able to help you burn fat. And when they eat the beans, they're so satisfying, especially if it's created uh, and combined with other foods that create a whole chain of amino acids, all of your protein complex. Um, But you have to know you, your body, your particular way of doing it. And also, people who are using beans that are also saturated with fats, like in refried beans, that's not going to produce the same result as when you're having whole beans that you have freshly soaked and cooked and spiced in a way that doesn't have a lot of fat and salt attached. So if you're feeling, you're, you're developing your consciousness about food and who you are with food. And note that at different times of the month, your relationship with food will be different, your cravings will be different if you're still going through a menstrual process. During menopause, the same sort of thing. You're going to be in a very different process relationship with fats and with proteins and carbohydrates. So you have to be paying attention at different phases of your life, different things are going to be craved by your body. Now, what you want to do is make your body, when you want to lose the fat, to have as much of the food that stops your cravings 
and as much of the food. It's high-quality nutrition, vitamins, minerals, proteins. And likely you're going to end up having a high-quality protein diet, and you want to therefore also make sure you don't go into hunger. So the space between your eating needs to be two to three hours if you're doing a low-carbohydrate, high-protein meal uh, combination because you don't want to go into being hungry because then you'll go into craving. And when you go into craving, your brain doesn't think as clearly about food choices. It really doesn't. It just goes into craving and it drives you. That's what it means when people say, I'm driven to eat it. I have to eat it. You are driven to have to eat this particular item. So it drives you. So you don't want to go into hunger and you want to have your protein snacks with you. You want to stay away from craving foods and you want to stay away from foods that make you sleepy until you go to bed at nighttime. And again, your carbohydrates tend to go sleepy. And the reason you want to do that is because you don't want your metabolism to go down. You want foods that make you have energy so that you move into movement and you don't find yourself fighting that off. Okay. So this is the consciousness about food and that's your fourth step to do. Now your fifth step is to realize that if you have a lot of weight that's going to take more than one cycle of weight loss to lose, then you want to recognize that you're going to lose weight incrementally and in cycles. You're not going to lose weight in, an, in one linear process. And the problem with weight loss consciousness is that most of the time it's like you go on this diet and you stay on that diet until you lose all the weight. And while that would be great on one level because you start a task and get it all the way to your finished point, and you're full of determination and tenacity and focus. And there are people who do do that and can do that. Most people cannot. And the reason is that your body is going through these cycles of hunger and need and different processes going on. And your social life and your emotional life are also going through cycles. So this whole program is about now moving into recognizing that you're going to set your dieting program to focus on physical health, and your dieting program is going to focus on losing weight in cycles so that you're taking increments. You don't try to lose 30 pounds in one setting. You try to lose a percentage of them, 5 pounds, 10 pounds. So you are saying, okay, for the next 10 pounds, I'm going to try this approach. And this approach is going to be involved in this, 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 this. And I'm going to see what of that 10 pounds I can lose in my 28 days. And 21 to 28 days tends to be the cycle of, one, cleansing your body so that you don't have to fight the cravings, two, getting you accustomed to eating a healthy diet full of nutrients, fluids, hydration, eating in these two- to three-hour cycles, small fistfuls of food, and then it also gets you accustomed to when you have a social event, what you can reach for and what you can't. Then also you can set the goal that at the end of the 21 to 28 days, I'm going to say 28 days from now, you will go through a three-day process where you eat more than you're eating. You're not on a diet, not trying to gain weight during that time. And in fact, you slowly during those three days, and sometimes it's three to seven days with the Lindora program, the three to seven day period, you are trying to establish a new set point. So the weight that you lost for the 28 days now you want to establish a new set point. And that set point means that your metabolism needs to come back to knowing that this new weight is indeed its new ceiling. Not its new low, but its new top. So you take the next three to seven days 
slowly, gradually adding foods in that have a little bit of higher carbohydrate count, and they're always combined with a protein meal. So you might have a piece of toast in the morning with your rest of your protein vegetable meal. You might add a little bit of chips with your high-protein vegetable lunch. You're putting maybe a little bit more fruit in there. Now, for some people, fruit is fabulous and not a trigger, but since fruit is high sugar, for some people, that moves them right into craving, and it moves them right off of being able to burn off their fat because now the body goes to the sugar content of the of the fruit as opposed to burning the fat in your body. So you might move a little bit more of the fruit in there. Now, also, I think that during this time, you also do periodic desserts or treats, whatever that is to you. But any time that scale goes at least bit up, the next meals, the set of meals, the next days are all about moving it back to that set point that you got to after 28 days. Okay, so now you've gotten yourself even. Three to seven days to get yourself even. Now you might take the next three days to just enjoy that you're even, moving up and down, up and down, no more than a few tenths of a point above and not worry about if you keep lowering your weight gain. In fact, what weight loss, I mean, in fact, some people during this time when they're setting their metabolism to be able to eat more food and stay at that one level of weight finally actually still lose weight. And the reason is is that they turn their metabolism back on. Very important when you're fighting a a metabolic syndrome. Okay, so now then you're going to choose a different approach to the next 28 days. That different approach may look exactly like your first 28 days because it was so successful. Or you might shift it just a bit. Now, the first 28 days, I'd recommend high-protein, good vegetables, low starch, low carbohydrate ratio. So high protein, it means like 50 to 60 grams of protein a day spread out. To me, it's like seven servings of just quality protein. And low carbohydrates, meaning between 50 and 80 carbohydrates a day. And that varies per person. Now this next cycle, I'm going to go into a different cycle. You can actually have what's called a high carbohydrate day, which is really no more than about... 150 carbohydrates a day, but that's higher than during that first 28 days, and then a low-carbohydrate day between 50 to 60 carbohydrates. Cycle back up to high, low, high, low every other day. And then maybe at the very end of that week, if your body has lost weight during that time, you do a little bit of setting that point, that new that point by having a dessert. And then your weight will go up a bit, and then the next day you bring it down. This tells your body that you are not going to tolerate it going up. You're going to have it go down, but once again, you want to be able to eat certain things that are not going to just set your your weight way up high again so that you don't have a metabolism. You want to keep your metabolism active and getting better and better as you lose more and more weight. This is called a cyclic process or cyclic dieting where you, you one day is up, one day is down, one day is up, one day is down. And it's kind of based on what people would do when they're trying to build their body muscle, their muscle, trying to exercise really vigorously one day and then they go on a break the next day so their bodies can recuperate and, and relax and actually all the things that build your body, tear it, tear it down and then you build it back up the next day by a rest. And you would vary your diet also in terms of being able to support your muscle development and so this idea comes from 
watching uh, weight builders be able to do this in a cyclic fashion. But it also helps you because you can know, oh, on this day, I can eat a little bit more, including that one item I really want to enjoy. So now you go to that section of your of your paperwork that says, what foods trigger my appetite? What foods are emotionally enjoyable foods? Let's give myself an emotional enjoyable food, knowing that it's going to trigger my appetite. And then I'll only eat it with protein, which is going to lower my appetite. I'll only eat it with those other foods that fill me up very, very quickly. So that you have them now paired with each other for those little bit higher days. Now, Dr. Oz kind of approached this from the standpoint of one day you're eating 1,200 calories, the next day you're eating 1,600 calories, that kind of difference, you go calorie-wise. But I find the calories really are not a great way to measure it because calories, you can eat really little amount of calories and have absolutely no nutritional value at all. So we're really talking about nutrition and we're talking about healthy foods that build your body, help your body know where to go to go burn the fat off so that you're getting leaner, which is healthier. But at the same time, you can still enjoy yourself and your food and have some emotional foods. Because I don't really think it's very healthy to have a relationship with food ultimately where you don't enjoy it. A lot of cultures really, really enjoy their food. They spend a lot of time cooking, whether you're in Italy or France or other such places, and they really enjoy cooking and they really enjoy their foods. And they're not low-calorie but they're not obese because they don't do it every day. And they're not obese because when they do do it, they don't, they don't gorge themselves with huge quantities. And they're also not obese because they pair it up immediately in the same 60 to 90 minutes with really healthy foods. So we, we watch what they're doing and say, okay, we want you to be able to enjoy your foods, enjoy your social situations, and be able to walk the path so that the cravings no longer drive you as to what you're going to eat but your conscious food choices do. Now, this cyclic process and this incremental, approaching these things in increments and then moving through a cycle can also be capped off where you go back to 28 days where it's just high protein, low carb every day. And then you can go back to cycling where one day is high and one day is low. Notice that high carb 150 is very different than those high carb days when you're ingesting 300 to 400 carbohydrates. Uh, so grams of carbohydrates. So realize that you're still conscious and you're still within a certain limit, but you're you're maneuvering, you're using your body's way of dealing with, gee, today, I know I have to pull on the calories that I ate yesterday because today I, I'm, I'm eating this and I'm getting a lower amount. Gee, I'm still in having to pull all the, from the fat storages in my body. And that's the type of way you want to think about it. Now, you'll also realize that if you go too much into the cyclic type eating, that if you've indulged too much on the high-carbohydrate days, relatively speaking, or that one dessert day that you had was just really too much, you'll notice that your cravings become annoyingly controlling. And that's when you have to say, okay, I have to put my, my, the things that stop me from craving in my diet full force right now. Because if I go more than one day, just following my cravings, I'm going to be causing myself problems again. So you want to immediately catch when your cravings are not craving the healthy food, the food that's going to help support your body and your muscle and, and your bones and your cognitive process and your emotions, but you're just having foods that just activate appetite so you can never feel satiated in full. So at that particular time, 
you want to immediately intervene on your own behalf and start putting in the foods that stop the craving. Now, another trick in this incremental cyclic type approach is if you accidentally yield to taking a food that makes you want to eat and eat, 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 then pair it with something that stops the craving. It just It's not like, oh, I don't want to add any more food to this because look at what the junk I've eaten. What you're trying to do is tell your body, okay, I've got healthy food in here. There's no need for us to eat for craving anymore. And it will help your body turn to the foods that are satisfying it uh, and no longer sending the signals that you must have that food that you're craving. And that's the sort of relationship and dance you want to do when you make a mistake because guess what? You're going to make a mistake. It's just a given during those 28 days or during the cyclic process, during the next 28 days in the cyclic process, so forth and so on, you're going to make a mistake. Somewhere along there, you're not going to be perfect. So you want to pair that imperfect moment with something that's really perfect and see then if you can make more increased effort to eat the good foods, like the healthy stuff, uh, and lower the unhealthy stuff. And that actually is another way that I move people into incremental dieting is that, okay, here's your unhealthy food. Now what's your healthy food? Now start eating them side by side. Now the next day, eat a little bit less of the unhealthy food and a little bit more of the healthy food. And a little bit less of the unhealthy food, a little bit more of the healthy food. Now make your unhealthy food at only two times during the day while you're also eating the healthy food. Now increase your healthy food to six times a day. So you're increasing the ratio of unhealthy foods to healthy foods, foods that will stop your cravings. You're eating more of them. And look at, you'll begin to realize, wow, I don't really crave that healthy food. I really want to eat the unhealthy food. You'll realize that this is an emotional process that your body cravings have gone into and you'll be resetting your cravings because you'll say, okay, well, I can't have it now, but I can have it then. That will work. So you're not totally denying yourself, but you're putting your craving foods, the ones that will produce even more desire for cravings, and they're usually high fat, high salt, high sugar, high processed foods, easy to prepare. You're putting them in a place as opposed to all over the place, which is usually what happens. Then you finally reduce them down where you don't have them during the day. You might have one the next day. And then you don't have them for two days, but you have them on the third day. And this is the progressive approach to you controlling yourself. And then if on the third day where you're not supposed to have them, you accidentally have them and you immediately pair it with a good food. You don't ever have it in isolation. And and then you go, well, okay, so then I'm going to have to be aware that I'm responding to a craving that has absolutely nothing to do with my body's health and beauty and everything to do with this food is a button for me. All right, well, I hope that this is just the beginning of helping you understand more about incremental eating, progressive weight loss, cyclic weight loss, as opposed to feeling like you have to adopt a diet, which you're likely to sabotage. Most people sabotage them within four to five days. Just welcome to the camp. Four to five days if you're lucky <laughs> because they haven't paid attention to this, these different variables. And then the focus on exercise, muscle building, a cardiovascular sorts of approach, which are amazing for your body? Oh, absolutely. That will also help your cravings as well, but that's another program altogether. All right, well, I hope you've really uh, taken notes, had a good talk with yourself. I help people do these sorts of things in hand-in-hand with hypnosis, hand-in-hand with fitness training, so forth and so forth. It's so important to put the whole package together. 
But this package is the beginning of you recognizing how foods can be your tool, that you can enjoy them, that you can eat emotionally, you can eat socially, you can eat for the pleasure of the moment, but in the context of you choosing them as opposed to just yielding to them. The ideal is that you move yourself down to your optimal healthiest weight, your optimal most healthiest leanness, and then to have those amazing, wonderful meals or to have those button-pushing, craving foods periodically is just not the same thing because your metabolism is still turned on. You haven't turned it off by excessive dieting or all crazy sorts of ways of trying to eat. Instead, you've kept your metabolism active. It metabolizes the junk food. You've learned how to pair it with the good stuff. You've learned how to go the next few days not having any of it so your body resets itself. And all that becomes a tool for you to use. You know, if you didn't live in an opulent society that's always having food choices available to you, you wouldn't be having this difficulty. If you were working in a farmland where you had to work your food, make your food, didn't, couldn't go to the store, the convenience store, you wouldn't be overweight. You would be your beautiful, most optimal self. But because we have all these choices, we get confused. So use the fact that we live in this opulent society full of choices uh, and control it to your best benefit and your greatest enjoyment, not to your worst health. All right. Have a great day. Step outside your box and be into the next box that's the real you, the wonderful you, the healthy you, the you that we all want to connect to because you want to connect to her too or to him too. All right, you take care of yourself. We'll talk to you down the road. I'm Dr. Carol Francis. Give me a call at 310-543-1824 if you want to integrate this with hypnosis. You're certainly welcome to. Or also to have a further discussion about fitness training, how that fits into there as well. I don't come from a position of, gee, I'm lean all my life and here I'm preaching it. No, I am a woman that's definitely walked the cycles of life and had to deal with this firsthand. So I'm not talking as if, I've got all the tools all magically in place and I've known it all along. No, I've had to really come to terms with this, as you probably will yourself. And then you're going to walk the path, too, with recognizing your cycle. If you're in a pretty good position, help your, help your woman know that she's beautiful and you just love the fact that she's going to be even healthier. Take care, everybody. We'll talk to you later.